going to take a little bit different tack this morning. I want to talk with you about something that Brendan and I and Sharon were talking about on Tuesday. I don't know if you've ever noticed in stores, it happens at Sears, at Walmart, at Walgreens, everywhere, there's either a bucket or an aisle or a lane, and it has as-is stuff. You familiar with this? It's just tagged that way, and you don't know. I mean, they just say, you can get a deal on this, but it's as-is, and it's up to you to figure out what the as-is is, you know, before you buy it. But they stick this tag on it, and it's like a deal. And people are like that. Have you noticed that? People are like, as is. We don't have the tag on us, but once you get to know different people, all of a sudden you, you kind of go, oh, I didn't know that about you. Oh, I didn't see that. You know, sometimes there's just these different flaws, and we, we are who we are, and we know that we're not completely finished. And we will say in church things like, we're all sinners saved by grace. But then when we meet someone, sometimes we're like, wow, I didn't know that about you. And so some of the flaws are obvious. People just wear them on their sleeves. They're just, they're weird. And they're as is. You go, oh, you're one of those as is people, aren't you? And you can see it really clearly. It's obvious. But other people, it's not so obvious. In fact, most people, it's not so obvious what's going on. What's the as is part of us? And that as is part of us that we're aware of, we like to keep secret in a separate aisle of life, so to speak. And uh, other people do as well. And so we're, when Brendan stands up here and he says that we need to have a process where we can be vulnerable and share what, with one another what our as is is, I said to him finally, I said, Brendan, we've got to talk more about that. That's just not going to happen naturally. That's just not going to roll out. People aren't just going to say, hey, well, let me tell you about my weirdest thing. They're not going to do that. And who do you talk with like that? How do you start a conversation like that? And we start wondering, you know, like, can we really do that? Because... If I'm defective and you are a little defective, isn't weird plus weird equal weird? Like, how, is it, how does this work? And yet, when we read the book, something amazing happens when people risk that process. Look at this verse. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. That's weird, isn't it? But it's weird in the right direction. Goes on. So they shared everything they had. They shared everything they had? That's weird. But it's a good kind of weird, isn't it? And you go on and it says, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And look at this. God's great blessing was upon them all. God's great... Wouldn't you want to be a part of that? God's great blessing? A place where, despite all of our weirdness, all of our as-isness, all of those different things that 
we would risk to share our lives. And it's such a place, you have to ask, why is it when that place happens that this God comes down? Because in that moment, it is the world as it should be. It's not an as-is world. It's a shalom world. We're created and creator are living as he intended in this blessedness. So let me ask you, do a quick survey. How many of you would like to be a part of that church? If you'd like to be a part of that church, raise your hand. I think most of us. The rest of you should see me after the service. We'll talk more. I mean, it, all of us are craving and looking for a place. We're looking for people. We're looking for someone who will help us be the best us. Someone who will notice us. Someone who will care about us. Someone who will talk to us. Someone who will listen to us. So, what keeps us from that? Not a rhetorical question. Us. And what, what about us keeps us from that? Rejection. Rejection. Who said that? Yeah. Rejection's really fun, isn't it, you guys? It's just awesome to be the last person picked on the playground, you know? Do you know that when you're rejected, what makes it so hard is it doesn't register as just a, an emotional pain. It actually follows the neural pathway of deep physical pain that is akin to, I'm going to lose my life. That's how powerful rejection is. So that's understandable. What else keeps us? Fear. Fear of what? What are we afraid of? Rejection, yeah. We got that rejection thing down. What else are we afraid of? Of what? Being weak. Yeah, what if you really knew? What if you really knew all my thoughts and questions? Or what if I really knew yours? It puts you in this wobbly, vulnerable place, doesn't it? Like, what will you do with that information? How will you look at me? One of the things that's really hard for people when they come and they talk to me in the counseling room, especially if they're from the church that I'm working at, is they wonder when I see them on Sunday, am I evaluating them? Am I sitting back in the corner there taking notes? Oh, I see Chad over there. Ha ha. That's kind of a bizarre behavior. We'll talk about that next week. That's not how it works. You know, that would be really creepy. But we do wonder, don't we? We really wonder. Like, if you knew this about me, if you found this out about me, what happens? I was talking to a young man who had made a mistake, and he, had, he was a youth leader, and he had gotten to be too close of friends with uh, a young lady in his group. Nothing happened in a physical sense, but there was probably the beginning of an emotional tie that was inappropriate. Fair enough. What bothered me about this situation, because he owned it, he confessed it, he actually reported it. He, in a sense, turned himself into risk vulnerability. What bothered me about the situation 
was that particular denomination kicked him out. They took away his credentials, and their final words to him is, you need to leave because you're a liability. Wow. How is a person ever going to make it? How is a person ever going to change or grow or learn if all the people that he knows and he's in fellowship with go like this the minute he makes a mistake? It's one of the things that Brendan is preaching to us. Practice people. Risk people. Lean out. But you see, we're very aware of all the fears of the unknown. What if you knew? What would you do? The shame, the rejection. And they, they show up in all kinds of different ways. We have these different fears that show up that are like tensions. Like, I like you, but what if you don't like me? That's awkward, isn't it? We have things like this, like, I'm weird, but wow, you're weirder. <laughs> John Orberg tells a, he notes a funny thing. He said he was looking through the paper, and he, he saw this headline that just struck him as really odd. It, it says, totally normal women who stalk their ex-boyfriends. And he was like, What? And yeah, there's totally normal guys that stalk their ex-girlfriends too. But what's totally normal? And is anyone totally normal? And if you're stalking someone, are you totally normal? <laughs> what kind of world are we living in, you know? And so sometimes when we notice someone's weirder than us, it, it takes us a little while. But what do we do with that? And then you just experience in our greeting time that some of us are introverts and some are extroverts. I always watch the introverts in the room, which are in my club. They get up, and they'll go over, and they'll say, Hi, Jennifer, and they'll talk for two minutes, and then they'll quickly go sit down. And they really wish that they would just turn invisible for the next five minutes. Gosh, I, I did my work. I hope no one comes and talks to me. Meanwhile, the extroverts are, like, floating through the room. It's like they're running for political office. You know, they're just <laughs> talking to all these people, and they're, you know... And, it's, it, it's really amazing to see it, but it's different. And John and Laura Moline will tell you as the marriage ministers of Bridgewood Community Church that isn't it amazing how often an introvert marries an extrovert? Can I get an amen? amen. And what do you think happens? It's just heavenly bliss. <laughs> oh, Yes, honey, talk to me some more. It's one in the morning. Let's, let's talk. Let's make coffee and talk. Yes, this is, it's just, you know. It almost, when you, when you have that scenario, it, you almost feel like you really are meeting someone from another planet. Like, what, why do you want to keep talking? Yeah. And how can you keep talking and think at the same time? Or don't you? <laughs> and all of it seems weird, so what you say is you say, I think I'll go it alone. Right? Truth, the only way to really get through this world is to get through it alone. Americans love this. We're going to celebrate in just a couple of days, what? Independence Day. 
England, we don't need you. <laughs> you know? And in America, there's this growing illusion that we can really go it alone. And you know what? Economically, most of us can. And we have all the possibilities of going it alone. But what we're finding when we look at all the medical all the physiological parts, all the psychological parts, we are slowly but surely killing ourselves. Loneliness is rampant. There is a cancer that forms inside of us when we start removing. And, and, and what was said in the early 80s has really come to pass that people cocoon. So you get up and you just kind of rub your head and you go, okay, work's calling, I'm going to go to work. I hope this works out okay. I hope I get through the day. You get through the day, it's stressful, traffic's stressful. Can you believe the road construction? If I see another orange pylon, oh, I'm going to run it over. I love the little sign that says, end road construction. I'm going to join that group. You know, let's end it. Let's be done with it. So when you're going... When you're going to work, and you know it's already stressful, and you get to work, and you, and then you get through work, and work is very tumultuous right now in the American culture. And so, what these people, these futurists, were saying back in the '80s is, is Americans will fight their way through. They'll work a long workday. They'll fight traffic back. They'll get what they need at the store, and when they get to their house, they will close up like a cocoon. They won't answer their phone. They'll turn on their TV or their computer or whatever it is, and they will just exist on their own some. But we cannot do that. We are not wired to do that because once we begin to go, the quickest way to erode your brain is to go solo, to be isolated, to be ostracized, to be outside. And you don't, here's the real trick, is you don't realize that it's disassembling you when it happens. Because it doesn't happen all at once. You don't feel the pain of a heart attack. You don't notice the tremor of a stroke. You don't notice what's happening on your insides, but you are slowly eroding parts of your brain. And then your capacity to relate and your need to recognize that you need to relate erodes. And now you've entered this vicious cycle where you don't even need, you don't even know that you need others. And this massive erosion eats away at it. And without question, when you look at all the different numbers that are out there, like when people are isolated, you are three times more likely to contract a serious disease. Three times more likely just because of isolation. Robert Putnam, who wrote the book Bowling Alone, said that if you will just do one thing and join a group, whether it's a volunteer group or a Bible group or whatever kind of group, but a group of people where you begin to socialize, you reduce the likelihood that you will suffer a major illness by 50% or better. And what's happening in our country is this isolation. And if you read the book for what the book says... It's exactly what God said right from the beginning. It is not good for us to be alone. Think about every person in the storybook who had an issue in their life where they fell into situations where they shouldn't be, where they faltered in their faith, and you find them alone, on their own. 
And yet God says clearly from the beginning of the owner's manual, we're made to be with one another, weirdness and all. And so the king and kingdom are always helping you and I to find our people and our place. Think about that. How much in our life and how much in the story of the Bible we are looking for our people. Who are my people? And where is my place? In the beginning, God creates a what? Garden. A place. And when he looks at Adam, he says, it's not good that he's alone. So creates Eve, his people. When God says to Moses, go and get Israel and get them out of Egypt, I'm going to have you take my people to my place, the promised land. Even Jesus, when he's talking to his friends, says, I'm going to go and make a place for you. And it's exactly what we crave. When I was a kid, I was lucky that if our family could all get to the meal table at the same time, it's kind of like a miracle, turning water into wine or something. And yet there was something in my wiring that craved what my friend John Gallo had. John Gallo came from a big Catholic family. I think they had 45 kids. I, <laughs> I'd be at John's house and be like, is that your brother? Is that your sister? Where'd they come from? They just seemed to come out of rooms everywhere. And so when John Gallo's mom would shout from across the way, John's dinner time, I'd let John go. And I'd wait a few minutes so I could be discreet. And then I would run. And I would slide under their porch. And I would listen to him have dinner. And it was a concert to my soul. His dad was unbelievable. I still hear his voice. It seemed like every meal he would come in and the kids would be jabbering and they'd be going around, but they'd all be at this huge, massive oak table. And he would come in and I could hear him as he walked around. He'd walk around the table and he would touch their heads. How are you, number one? How are you, number two? How are you, number three? Number four, you know, and go around. And, and then you could hear his chair at the end of the table go, and he'd sit down, and, and, and then they would pray. And then all chaos would break out as soon as amen happened because they'd hit the bowls of food. And you would hear it. And then once they got everything on the plate, then his dad would start to go around, and he would say, John, how was your day? What, what, was, what was something that you want to tell everybody about your day? And I would just lay under there and just in wonder and awe think about what is it like to be one of those people? What's it like to have a place at that table? And man, it, it was crazy. And there was always a little part of me that was terrified, like, what if they'd find me? And I, I, I really wondered, like, if they found me, and then they go, man, you're really weird. Why are you laying under our porch while we're eating? And what would I do if they invited me to come and sit at that table? I discovered weirdo at the table. But it didn't stop me from wanting my people and my place. I 
craved it, longed for it, which is exactly why the king says to his kids, I sit the lonely in families. Do you realize this is a family? Do you realize that? We have a huge table where the king comes and sits. Every other Sunday we go to it. Sometimes we grab people, come to the king's table with me. Come sit next to me. It's precisely what God wants. No lonely people in God's book. No lonely outsiders. No outliers. No rejects. No people that have to lay under the porch. Get that kid out from under the porch and get him up here. I want to set the lonely in a family. He burns for it. He yearns for it. He puts it down in ink so we know that he's working towards that. And he goes on to say, not just Old Testament, New Testament. In fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted to be. Every single one of you, I believe God's brought here and set you here. Not a mistake. David, Terry, Mitchell are here. God's not up there like, oh gosh, why are they there? Every single one of you have a little name. What do we call those things? Place, a what? A place guard? Oh, a place card. Or did you say guard? It's like you get a card in a pit bull to guard your spots. This is my place guard right here. <laughs> but place card. Got it. Okay, place card. You all have a place card. You do. And he's, he brings you to the table and he, and he has people here for you to connect with. He really does. It's not filler. Paul wasn't writing in prison going, oh, you know, wow, Timothy, we got a lot of space on this paper. We can't waste it. What should we write? Oh, this is really cool. Write that. No, this is the inspired word of God. This is God speaking to you. You have a place at my table. You are my family. Get out from under the porch and sit down. And God infers that, yes, you're all weird. Because he goes on to say, accept one another. (laughs) Just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. God loves it. When one weirdo accepts another weirdo, we say, okay, we have the covenant of weirdness. And we, we come together because we realize that Abba has brought us together as a church family and he wants us to accept one another just as Jesus does. Ladies and gentlemen, doesn't it awe you when you read the Gospels? How many of you read the Gospels? I read the Gospels daily. Read the Psalms and Proverbs daily, but the Gospels to me are like... Like, when, when I watch the kid movies with Jesus, I cry. I can't watch them. Because I just love to see Jesus do his thing. And doesn't it strike the deepest part of your heart that the perfect Jesus attracts weirdos in droves? Think about it. If there's weirdos to be had, Jesus is attracting them. And what's really super weird, like the woman at the well, she goes back, 
to the very place where people were calling her a weirdo and rejecting her and tells people, hey, come see a guy that's announced to everyone how weird I am. That's weird. But you see, our human souls just love it. I have encountered the perfect God, and he hasn't gone, ugh. He's going, hmm. And when we replicate that, God goes, hmm. There is something good cooking in that church. Can you smell that, angels? Hmm. Yeah. Because they're accepting one another just like my son came and accepted them. So what does it look like? How, how do we do this? And we're, you know, when Brandon gets back, he's going to talk a little bit. We're going to dialogue about this. But I, I wanted to just set some groundwork. It's good for us to talk about this, isn't it? Don't leave me hanging. Oh, I just fell 50 feet. Okay. It is really good. It's, it's kind of scary because, you know, you're thinking in your mind, oh, no, he's really serious about this. We're going to... And it's not so much that I'm serious about it. God's serious about it. So in our reality, there's four spaces that life happens. There's this public space where we can meet people and we become a little bit known. If you go... On a, on a Sunday afternoon with a purple jersey on, a little bit of purple paint on your face, because these guys in purple uniforms are playing on a green field, and you sit with a bunch of people that have purple on too, you're one of the purple people. And you're in. And you're a weirdo. You Packer fans are like, no, nah, that's weird. Like, Packer fans are normal. <laughs> they put cheese on their heads. That's how... That's how, that's how you join their group. But if you have cheese on your head, you're in, right? But it's not like you're going to call a fellow cheese head or a purple person to share your deepest secrets with, right? Even though you had this great common experience in a large public place. So you usually are looking for something that's a little bit more social, a little bit smaller, something that's like in the context of 30 or 40 people, a class, a group. And it's at that group where you still feel it's safe. I'm going to get to know some people. You know, get to know Beth a little bit better, and Bruce a little bit better as we sit in class. But thank goodness we're all going to be facing and listening to Sharon teach. We don't have to do a lot of this interacting stuff because good grief. I'm an introvert and I'm a weird introvert. So I, you know, I just, I, I want to kind of know people, but I don't know if I'm quite ready to get to know them that much. But it's, you, the possibility of getting to know those people is a little bit easier than in a big stadium. Amen? These two spaces are what churches can really offer and do for you. This right here is a public space. You all come, but notice where the chairs are facing. And you've done a really good job of listening to me talk at you this morning. But we're having a shared experience, so some of you will go in the cafe and get coffee and a treat, and you'll sit around and you'll go, yeah, I think Mark Spencer's really probably the weirdest guy around. You know, and you'll, you'll talk. You'll have to talk about your experience. So then you went from the public to a social space down the hall. Does that make sense? But there's not a lot of risk in that. 
It's why lots of people like to change churches, because after a while you get bored, and it's like, I've heard all of Mark's stories, I've heard all of Sharon's stories, I've heard all these stories, I'm just going to go to another place. But what you really need to do is to go to a personal place. More like Jesus in the Twelve, where you go and you begin to offer your life. And as you offer your life, you get to know some people that really become what I call hand friends. You can count them on a hand. They know your story. So some years ago, while I was walking through the public place on a Sunday morning, God began to speak to me about get my guys. And I was like, get what guys? I'll show you. And so I started to look in the public and social spaces, and I came to a place where I realized that God was beginning to highlight some men that I was supposed to spend time with. And all but one of them were extreme introverts, really good guys. But all the wives would giggle at us. It's like, what do those guys do? Just stare at one another for two hours? <laughs> and we will, this September, be coming up on four years meeting together. We've gone from public to social to personal meeting together. And about a year ago, we risked sharing our stories. And us guys told things to one another that we've never told anyone else on the planet. And when someone would risk sharing that, and the night stopped, I mean, it used to be that come 8 o'clock, we'd shoot out of there like the place was on fire. But the second time that the second person shared their story, no one moved. We just sat there in stunned silence, somehow connected. I looked at them, and they looked at me, and I said, do you guys feel it? They go, huh? What is it? Go, we don't want to go from this place. Why? Because we feel like we're known. Feel like we just discovered our place and our people. And we're about to go a little bit deeper, deeper people. Not because Brandon and Sharon and I have evil schemes that we stay up all night planning for you people. I believe that God wants us to get back to that Acts experience where God's blessing is on this because we share our lives. That's what Brendan's preaching about. And yet we're prickly like this little guy. You know what he is? Porcupine. Would you like to pet him? No. What happens if you pet a porcupine? What happens if you hug a porcupine? But you know what's weird about porcupines? They teach us something. Do you know how they get close? Here's a picture of a hunter took. Look at this. They're about ready to touch noses and paws. You know how they got there? They come out, they look at one another. They walk around like this. Just like you guys will walk around when this is over. Are you one of my people? And they kind of look. And then they'll circle. When they're circling, they're looking to see, are they going to attack me? Or are they going to kind of dance with me? And when they find out they're dancing with them, they get a little more confident, a little more sure. And then they stop and they look again. Were you just dancing with me? 
And then they do it again the other direction. And then the moment happens where they turn and they're almost nose to nose. And then they surrender their weapons. They drop their quills. They lean back. They have no quills on their underbelly. It's the vulnerable spot. No predator gets there because they get a face full of quills. But now to their new friend, they risk to show their underside. They touch paws, and they have made a friend for life. So as I close this morning, I want to close with some porcupine wisdom and questions. Can I do that? You prickly bunch, you. <laughs> In the privacy of your own heart, let me ask you this. Who knows you? Really knows you? Number two. Who am I currently risking vulnerability with? It doesn't mean you have to tell your entire story, but who are you pushing the envelope a little bit with? Who are you risking? Because all the research shows that if you want to be heard, if you want to be trusted, you need to hear and trust. You've got to give something to get that something. And if you're not risking, if you're not doing what the porcupines do when they stop and start to tilt up, won't happen. And who is risking vulnerability with you? Who's come to you and risked sharing something with you? And maybe you didn't have the answer or maybe you didn't know how to respond. That's fine. We're still learning how to do the porcupine dance. But they, they, they signaled to you. John Gottman talks about how we do bids when we're trying to get relationships. These little emotional bids. Sometimes it's just a look. Like to see if someone will look back in your eyes is a bid. Sometimes it's like, hi, and you wait to see if they stop to ask more. But in that moment, if that person is sharing a little bit with you, they're bidding with you. They, they want to do the porcupine dance. So who knows me? Who am I risking vulnerability with? And who recently risked it with me? And we're going to pick up and talk some more next week about this important topic. Is that good? You guys still like me? All right. You don't <laughs> yes, more applause. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, we're on an adventure. It's a good adventure. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your ongoing work in our life that our king and his kingdom are helping us to find our people and our place. Always. You're always doing that. Thank you, Lord, for that. And I pray for us that as we ponder these questions about who knows me, and if we really can't think of someone, we wouldn't become despondent because our king is calling and he's saying, don't you worry. I've got a place and some people for you. I really do. And Lord, I pray for all of us that you would help us Help us, Lord, to do the porcupine dance, to risk vulnerability. Because we believe, Lord, your word when we read it and we see that in Acts, that that's an invitation and that we too can experience a place where the great grace of God is. 
So bless us, bless this offering, bless our continued worship, bless our day with your presence, and bless our day with some deep conversation with someone, somewhere. In Jesus' name, amen.
C.C. and Evan wrote this week. And, and I, I think they hacked it to my computer, read my sermon notes. But Sharon and I were talking about it, just how the Spirit will go out of his way to let us know, you know. And what a beautiful song, huh? And just thank you, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. 